Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is an RNZ podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Slevin sitting in for Simon Morris, who's a little bit under the weather. This week on At The Movies... A victim of domestic violence protects herself, her children, and rebuilds her self-respect by building a house. You see, I figured out that I cost you 33,000 in rent and welfare in one year alone. Um, And at number 653 on the housing list, sure, that's three or four years keeping us in hotels, which would cost you 120,000, maybe even more. But if you lend me the money and let me use a site, then... I could have that built by Christmas and be paying you rent for the house. Middle-aged boy racers turned superheroes save the world one more time. Maybe this is the end, but we're going to go out together. You know I'd ride to the death with you. And a young Italian sea monster discovers the joys and risks of life on land. Luca, what's on your mind? I, I, I I, I was just wondering... Where do boats come from? (coughs) The land monster town, just above the surface. It'd be the guy at cards there once. (gasps) Mom! So that's three films today, but if none of those take your fancy, it's time to point out that we are in festival season. It's usually around this time of year, as the nights draw in and the rain batters the windows, that we're tempted out of the house by those specialist occasions where the gold is curated for us and we can journey to sunnier climates, even if only on screen. The Dock Edge Festival finishes its in-person screenings this weekend at the Roxy in Wellington, but continues online for a few more weeks. The French Film Festival continues until mid-July in some regions. Check out frenchfilmfestival.co.nz to see if that applies to you. The redoubtable Paolo Rotondo brings this year's Cinema Italiano Festival to screens from this weekend and continues to crisscross the country until it finally arrives on Waiheke Island in January. Nowadays, festival directors have to be sponsorship managers as much as film curators, and Paolo has outdone himself in this current environment. Cinema Italiano is extremely well supported. This week, I got a press release announcing the dates for this year's Jewish Film Festival, which takes the dates that would normally have been occupied by the International Festival. This one is pretty boutique, six films across six cinemas, and there have already been strong reviews for the big screen adaptation of the beloved children's book When Hitler Stole Pink Rabbit, which is one of their titles. And in late October, the big one is back. Whānau Marama, the New Zealand International Film Festival, was delayed to take into account all the other COVID-related festival delays overseas. But with Northern Hemisphere vaccinations happening at pace and cinemas opening up again, it looks like they'll have plenty of riches to choose from. 
I, I didn't lie. Well, it's on that form, Sandra. Are you trying to get two houses instead of one? No. No. Judge, is this a fit mother? No. You're not doing this. You are not doing this. You are not taking my kids. All right, all right. 20 minutes break while I go over this new evidence and your client calms herself. British director Phyllida Lloyd is probably best known for her blockbusting work on the two Mamma Mia films, crowd-pleasing and bank-pleasing at the same time. Or maybe you recall her coaxing a distinctive impersonation of Margaret Thatcher out of Meryl Streep in The Iron Lady. But she actually made her name in the UK theatre scene, directing classics like Brecht and Viles' The Threepenny Opera, and contemporary operas like Paul Ruder's adaptation of Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale in 2000, among others. In 1999, she took Mamma Mia, one of the first jukebox musicals, to a triumphant West End season, followed by a slew of awards and then on to Broadway and yet more awards. Her new film, Herself, is quite different to anything she's put on screen before. It's a gritty Ken Loachian social drama about escaping domestic violence. But even here she manages to give the kitchen sink a lyricism, and dare I say it, a romance that Loach really gives into. The script is by the lead actor, Claire Dunn. She plays Sandra, a young mum who we see being viciously beaten by her husband in the opening scene. I should warn you that, much like real life, the attack comes out of the blue and is absolutely horrific, not least because Sandra's little girl Emma, played by Ruby Rose O'Hara, is a witness to it. Escaping at first into a shelter and then into emergency housing, Sandra finds it almost impossible to get her life back on track. The dead-end jobs don't pay much, and the housing shortage in Dublin is much like our own. Long queues for the good rentals and concrete cancer in the bad ones. Meanwhile, her manipulative husband Gary, a chilling Ian Lloyd Anderson, is pulling out all the stops to try and get her back. I got a little bonus. So much work out there for joiners now. You can take your pickets, look back in the day. Thanks. I'm getting help. I've seen a counsellor. I didn't walk out, which, I mean, I wanted to, but... I stayed. Emma, come on. Mum says you can stay if we want to try again. Try and make it walk. The only bright spot on the horizon is Peggy, a retired doctor whose physical frailty means that Sandra comes in to clean, a job that her late mother used to do. Cleaning up after Peggy is more like home help than just doing the hoovering. Peggy is played by the formidable Harriet Walter, a classical actress of some reputation who played Brutus, Henry IV and Prospero, sometimes in a single day, in Phyllida Lloyd's trilogy of all-female Shakespeare's for the Donmar Warehouse. Those productions also featured Claire Dunn, so it's a little bit of a Phyllida Lloyd repertory company on display in herself. Desperate for a home to call her own, Sandra sees a YouTube video about building your own house for not much money. 
Peggy offers her a corner of her generous back garden in which to build such a thing, and all involved have to agree to keep it a secret so that the social services won't dock Sandra's benefit and the dangerous Gary won't try and enact some form of vengeance on her and the kids. And even with all the willpower in the world, Sandra still needs a bit of help to actually build the thing. And a stroke of luck helps out there too. Angeline, don't know what that is. Do you know what thickness of insulation? Because there's loads of sizes like. Oh yeah, no, uh, I'll, I'll ask. Biobase, never heard of it. Well, what about, um, like, base of concrete? Well, that's actual ready mix. So it's not bags? No. Concrete would, would have to come in a truck in cubic metres. You'd have to go to Roadstone. Do you mind if I serve this fellow? Yes, my friend. What can I get you? Some manners. Bit of courtesy. What? What? Your customer service. Serve the customer. It's only after a price check. It's not rocket science. She manages to enlist the help of a former builder, now a handyman, played by Conleth Hill from Game of Thrones. And a bunch of other allies come and help out on weekends. This is the kind of feel-good, up-by-your-bootstraps, feminist self-discovery story that sends audiences away feeling good about themselves. Except it doesn't quite turn out the way you would expect. The real world, in the form of the government bureaucracy and Gary's lawyers, see to that. It's a tricky balancing act, too far down the track of the confronting and rugged issues-based drama, and you risk the audience turning away. It could just become too much. But when the script populates the supporting cast with unusual characters who seem to have been cast so that they can be a bit of comic relief, the film risks going too far the other way. The tone wobbles a bit. Holding it together, though, are the family. Done as Sandra is perfect, as you might expect from someone who co-wrote the script. The two young daughters are tremendous, convincing when they're happy, carefree little moppets, but also as traumatised and vulnerable primary school children. And Harriet Walter is a rock at the heart of the picture, despite being a little bit underwritten. There's no vanity there, just steel underneath the physical frailty. She's who Sandra will probably become when she's forged in this fire and can truly discover her own strength. I can't tell anyone. Not anyone in school. Not nanny, not granddad, and especially, especially not daddy. Why? I'm just going by what Ado the Builder said. He said that's the rules, and you've seen him, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want to mess with him, do you? No. no. So we have to keep this to ourselves, yeah? own special secret. Like Black Widow? Sort of. What's that? Oh, it's just a code word. It's better you don't know. Herself is rated M for domestic violence and offensive language and is playing in select cinemas across New Zealand now. No matter how fast you are. To you. No one outruns their past. I am more easy, you trying your best to become me. And mine just caught up to me. Been a long time, Tom. In motorsport, F1 is the very top of the tree. It's the most glamorous, the best funded, and frankly, the fastest. After F1, there's only one way to go, and that's down. 
What then are we to make of a film that tries to sell us that it is the peak of its franchise, the fastest of the furious, the biggest and the best, but then it goes and calls itself F9, eight runs short? Yes, the latest instalment in the Fast and Furious franchise, which began in 2001, is called F9, but even that's not entirely accurate. If you take into account the 2019 spin-off, Hobbs and Shaw, as well as two short films, F9 should probably be called F13. But then logic and common sense have never really been a franchise priority, so why start now? Damn, they got a magnet plane? Hold on. Tell me you're not thinking what I think you're thinking. There's no bridge! Oh, hell no. F9 gets underway with a flashback to 1989 and one of those oval racetracks that the Americans love. The young Dominic Toretto, played here thankfully by a real actor, the Kiwi Vinnie Bennett, rather than a digitally de-aged Vin Diesel, is in the pits watching his dad Jack race. On the verge of victory, a competitor manages to flip Jack's car up in the air in much the same way that American traffic cop in the news the other day flipped the car of a pregnant woman who he thought was too slow to pull over. In this case, however, Jack's car turns into a giant fireball and Dominic becomes fatherless. In the present day, Mr. Diesel's Toretto and his current partner Letty, Michelle Rodriguez, and his little boy Brian are, as they so often are in these pictures, trying to live a quiet life off the grid, leaving their stunt-ridden days of adventure and mayhem behind. It can't last, though, eh? The old crew turns up with a recently decrypted emergency signal about a secret military plane crashing in a fictional South American jungle with a special cargo on board. Can they go and retrieve it? Letty can't wait, but Dom is reluctant, for about 30 seconds. Presumably he finds a babysitter for little Brian because before you can blink he's at the airport in his signature Dodge Charger. It remains unexplained how he manages to find one of these in every location he ends up in from Edinburgh to Tbilisi. Let's get to work. Please tell me that's not a Pontiac Fiero strapped to a rocket engine? Impressive. I know. No. No, that's, that's not impressive. The MacGuffin in this case is one half of a device that could take control of every computer in the world. All the holder needs is the secret key, access to a special satellite, and the other half of the device, wherever that may be. So it shouldn't be that big a problem that our crew failed to retrieve their half of it, thanks to the intervention of a mysterious super criminal who escapes thanks to a plane with magnets on the bottom. Not the last time that magnets are going to be an important part of the plot here, my friends. The mysterious super criminal just happens to be... Jacob is... Dom's brother. Who, until this point, this is 13 films in, I remind you, we have never heard of before. John Senna plays Jacob, who was also in the pit crew on the day that Toretto Sr. bought the farm in such spectacular fashion. There's a term that literary critics have used, and it now applies mostly to these big multimedia franchises. Retconning, or retroactive continuity. That's where a project will simply rewrite the facts of an existing story to suit the needs of a new one. 
This isn't quite the same as that. Because as far as I recall, no one previously in the franchise has said that Dom doesn't have a brother. But please, come on. Later on, the film also resurrects a character that has been dead and mourned for quite a few films, all in the service of sentimentality and a desire to see the old band back together again. It's intellectually insulting, but also kind of sweet. On the journey around the world and then into space, we meet a few more old friends, including Charlize Theron as the supervillain Cypher, and Helen Mirren as a chirpy cockney jewel thief Queenie, doing her best impersonation of Barbara Windsor from EastEnders. Get the e-brake for me, would you, darling? <laughs> the best thing about having Vin Diesel's long-lost brother turn up is that he's played by John Senna, who, let's be honest, has more screen charisma in his little finger than Diesel has in that entire hairless frame of his. Senna is one of those former wrestlers that the camera loves, and it's clear from his one-note pursed cat-butt lips that Diesel didn't go to that WWF finishing school that produced Senna, Dwayne Johnson and Dave Bautista. For all its ludicrousness, and it's ludicrous for that matter, F9 isn't actually very funny. It certainly isn't as funny as it likes to think it is. But it is stupidly entertaining big screen fun. The kind of thing we've been starved of for too long. I enjoyed it a lot. Y'all ever thought about the wild missions we've been on? We've taken out planes, trains, tanks. I'm not going to even think about the submarine. And now we got cars flying in the air. F9 is rated M for violence. It's restoring the fortunes of multiplexes all over New Zealand now. Now, walking is just like swimming, but without fins or a tail. And also there's no water. Otherwise, it's like the exact same thing. Give it a try. That's not it. Try it again. Oh, try to lead with your head. No, more belly. That's, that's lying on the ground. How about this? Just take a step without even thinking about it. No, 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 no. Don't think about it. I don't know how to not think about something. Ugh. Okay, okay. Watch. Point your feet to where you want to go, okay? And then you just catch yourself before you fall. Our final film for this program is one where the charms don't have to be treated cynically, taken ironically, or consumed as some kind of guilty pleasure. Luca, from Pixar Studios and Disney Plus, is as sweet and good-natured as anything I've seen in a long time. And I can pretty much guarantee that when the credits roll, you will feel a little bit better about life, the universe, and everything. More like this, please. Jacob Tremblay is the voice of Luca, a sea monster that inhabits a picturesque little Italian bay, with an island off the coast that is not unlike Taputeranga in Island Bay in Wellington. He's a sea monster that lives happily with his family, herding schools of fish and avoiding the terrifying and mysterious human monsters above the surface who inexplicably want to kill them all. But Luca is a curious young monster and is intrigued by the human detritus that he stumbles across on the ocean floor. When he meets another young sea monster, Alberto, voiced by Jack Dylan Grazer, and learns that they can take human form up on the surface, he just can't help himself. Just like Little Nemo in Finding Nemo, he disobeys his parental instructions and sets off on an adventure. These early scenes are so beautiful and nostalgic, 
At least for my generation, who as kids seem to spend eternal summers roaming the neighbourhood unsupervised, getting up to mischief. Luca, the film, gets those kid relationships, the ebbs and flows of them perfectly right, and they're the best part of the film. Eventually, they find their way into the town of Porto Rosso, fall in love with a red Vespa, and with the help of a local human girl, Julia, Emma Berman, they enter the town's version of a triathlon, cycling, swimming, and, because the contest is sponsored by a pasta company, eating. Hey, we're going to win, and you'll get your Vespa. Why do you want a Vespa, Ken? Oh, because it'll be amazing. Every day, me and Alberto are going to ride someplace new, and every night, we'll sleep under the fish. The fish? <laughs> Good. How about you? What'll you do when you win? Oh, I'll get up in front of everyone and say, Told you I'd win! Yeah. And then what? Well, that's it. Look, during school, I live with my mom, my and Janova. And every summer I come here, and everyone thinks I'm just some weird kid who doesn't belong. I think I know how you feel. Right? That's why we gotta win. The town will cheer our names. Ergola's life will be ruined! Sorry. Too much. My mom says sometimes I'm too much. I'll confess that, like so many of Pixar's films, the actual plotting sometimes fails to live up to the wonderful premise and all of the character and context, but it doesn't matter too much. There's some drama there. Envy, betrayal, danger... But these little monsters aren't trying to save the planet from a computer-killing death ray. They just want to find out who they are and have some fun in the process. The writer and director of Luca, Enrico Casarossa, grew up in the same region of Italy where Luca is set, near Genoa. But even though I've not seen anything in his biography to suggest that he is in fact a sea monster, there is plenty about Luca that feels autobiographical. Casarosso made one of Pixar's more enchanting short films in 2011, La Luna, about a boy going to work with his father and grandfather for the first time, sweeping fallen stars off the surface of the moon. You can find all the great Pixar shorts on Disney+, and they really do hold up as lovely examples of the animator's craft. They say if there was an ocean big enough to hold it, it would float in it! Whoa! Also notable in Luca is the score by Dan Romer. If you listen carefully, you'll hear the resemblance to his brilliant music for Beasts of the Southern Wild, uh, which he wrote back in 2013. Such a different sound, and no disrespect to the man, it's kind of nice not to hear Randy Newman again. Luca made us laugh and sigh with recognition, and the design, especially the bright colours of the countryside, are just gorgeous. Miyazaki, greens and blues, my wife said. And the film has been compared with Studio Ghibli, and and while I don't 100% agree, that is very high praise indeed. Finally, uh, a shout-out to Sasha Baron Cohen for his cameo, which, when you consider that almost the entire picture was made during lockdown, he probably quite literally phoned it in. This is my brother, your Uncle Hugo. Thanks again for coming all this way on such short notice. Of course. Hello, Luca. It's nice to meet you. Luca, I need you to punch his heart. Luca is rated PG for mild themes, and it's streaming now on Disney+. Quanta fretta, ma dove corri? Dove vai? Se ci ascolti per un momento, capirai. 
Lui è il gatto ed io la volpe Stiamo in società Di noi ti puoi fidare And that's our program for this week We're listening to a song from Enrico Casarossa's Luca As well as Dan Roma's score The film is populated with Italian pop hits From the director's past This is Eduardo Benato from 1977 With the classic Il Gatto e la Volpe I'm Dan Slevin, and you can find me on Twitter as at Dan Slevin, that's all one word. And there's more of me at rnz.co.nz forward slash widescreen. Simon should be back at the helm for the next edition, so I trust you'll join him for more at the movies at the same time next week. <laughs>